So, um, you know, when they first told me that they were going to show this video, I kind of got excited, which is kind of weird because you don't think about getting excited over a Lottie Moon Christmas video, but you should. Okay, for those of you that don't know, we do an offering, a Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You're wel- welcome to add that to, to your offering, and it goes 100% to international missions around the world. Well, why would I be excited about that? Because regardless of what's going on in the world right now, ministry is not stopping. It's what we, yeah, somebody almost clapped. You can clap. It's okay. We're doing what we do. That baptism in the early service just now, it's what we do. I'm sitting in the early service. I couldn't actually see it. There was a Christmas tree there, but this little girl's getting baptized and I'm getting like teary eyed because it's what we do. You know, the last few weeks, of th- who had a good Thanksgiving? I guess we've already gone on. Good Thanksgiving? Weird. Have we done this already? Weird Thanksgiving? At home, good Thanksgiving? Weird Thanksgiving? Yeah. Um, you know, I've had an interesting Thanksgiving. We didn't do turkeys this year. I hate that. We'll, we'll try to do that next year. But it, it allowed for a lot of free time. And during that free time, I've had so much more, I don't know, interaction, primarily with adults. And this time of year, it's fascinating because you got all these college kids coming back and other people in ministry where you can actually sit down and have conversations about things of God and things that are going on in ministry, and I love it. So here's the thing. Every conversation I've had, it seems like, the last couple of weeks, they're all basically the same. It's COVID and church. That's, that's kind of all we talk about. And then the vast majority of, of, of conversations are COVID and church in kind of one conversation. And the conversations always begin the exact same. Someone says, well, how's your church doing? You know what? Our church is doing great. I am thrilled with how our church is going. In fact, listen to this. I'm going to say something crazy. Are you ready? I think we are doing as well or better than we have ever done before. God is doing some amazing, amazing things right now. We were talking about this Lottie Moon thing. We actually started last week with the shoeboxes, right? We had all these shoeboxes up here, and we took them to wherever they take them. I don't know. And I was talking to Mitzi Callahan, our children's pastor, and Kay Shipley. She kind of run, or they kind of run all that stuff. And I was asking, well, how many shoeboxes were they? And I can't remember the number. I should have written it down. And it was quite a few, but I asked this question. Well, how many were there last year? And it wasn't that many less. Now think about this. Right now, from an attendance point of view, we're doing about 50% of what we were this time last year. That's in line with just about every other church in the the area. But when we look at the missional giving, when we look at offerings, when we look at, at just discipleship in our church, in our community, it's not 50% less. There's a little less, and that's fair. But the shoeboxes were great. We did a great job with that. But there's more. So we do these angel tree things every year. And you may not even know this because so there are students, children in our area that may not have the Christmas that they deserve. So we, we adopt, if you will, all these kids. And people give to that. It's already done, just like last year. As soon as we get the list of kids, it's done 100%. We don't have to talk about it much because it's done. God's doing some amazing things, and that's not always the case. Now, what do Christians normally do? Look at this map. 
on stage. I love old stuff. I love old maps. You guys ever seen an ancient map like this before? You know, back in the day when maps were first like a thing, people, know, people wrote a map and they talked about what they knew, the land that they knew, but out past what they didn't know was scary and probably kind of dangerous. So if you look at ancient maps, you're going to see that there's always like hurricanes or sea monsters, right? And that's just a warning. Hey, listen, don't go out there. There's sea monsters out there. I knew a guy that died. And it's not because he was in a terrible boat and he was bad at his job. It had to have been because there was a sea monster, right? And we look at our church and we're like, this isn't going the way it should. This wasn't going the way it should. This wasn't going the way it should. It must be monsters, right? And we point at this monster and that monster and that monster. No, it's not. It's just people. We have this I am attitude. I am a Christian. I am a church member. And we need to replace that with I will be a disciple. I will be the minister that God wants me to be. But we don't. We just let it slide. I've got this commercial, and maybe I just think it's funny. Can y'all show this, this commercial? It's only a couple minutes long, and I think this really illustrates it perfectly. Whoa. Father, why can't we have direct TV like the McGregors do? We're settlers, son. We settle for things, like having cable instead of direct TV. Hey, Jebediah, how's it going? Working the land. Hoping for a fertile spring. All right. So we have to live with lower customer satisfaction? I'm afraid so. Now, go churn us some butter, boy, and then make your own clothes. Yes, sir. Don't be a sucker. Yeah. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call one Now go some, churn some butter and make yourself some clothes, because we settle, don't we? Oh, man, world's bad. Not going the way we wanted to. Let's settle. Hey, quick, time out, time out. There's like 10 of these commercials, and I don't want to be the guy for DirecTV or whatever that is. They're hilarious. <laughs> but, but when you watch them, you ask yourself, is that me? Am I settling for what the world's giving me? Or am, I get, or am I focusing on what God wants for me? Man, that's where we are. That's where a lot of us are. It hasn't always been that way. We're going to do something weird today. Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me, if you would. Matthew chapter 10. Now let's look at this reading of God's word. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Hey, guys, listen, I'm going to go in a lot of directions today, but if you don't get anything, if you don't nail down anything today, would you look at this? I need you to get this out of it. Now, more than ever, now, more than ever, believers must replace an I am attitude with an I will lifestyle. Pray with me. Father God in heaven, Lord, I love you. I praise you for this time. I praise you for what you're teaching us right now. Lord, I pray that you humble us in such a way that, that, we, just, that we just give to you today through your, your songs and through your word so that when we leave this place, Lord, that we find something practical that you've given us that we can use. In Christ Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. You guys can be seated. So these disciples, right? We know this story. I would imagine most of us get it. Jesus is going around. He's like, yo, come follow me. And they're like, okay. And they do. And that sounds a little weird. I don't know if this is true. Maybe this is a little bit of Billy theology. I have a feeling most of these guys, maybe they didn't know Jesus, but they had heard of him. I would imagine they got it. 
to some extent. But do you think they had any idea what was going to happen? Do you think they had any idea what, this was, what was going to take place? Don't we laugh when we think back to February? I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. We're sitting around the office, and Eddie comes in. It's like February. And Eddie's like, listen, the world's about to get crazy. And we were like, Eddie, we've heard it on TV. The world's not, to get, not about to get crazy. We were wrong. The world got crazy. And we weren't making fun of it. We were laughing, but we weren't taking it seriously. And then February led to March. We were like, eh, it's going to be over with in a few weeks. We'll be fine. Then it's April, May, June. Then summer's gone, right? We had no idea what we were getting into. And that's really easy compared to what these guys saw, what these guys experienced. But boy, the lesson we can get from them. In Matthew 10, we find this fascinating passage of Scripture where Jesus has called these disciples together and he's kind of sending them out on like the training wheels mission. This is like the first one where they're just kind of getting started. And this passage, he's given them all these instructions. And while we understand that according to the text, Jesus is talking to these specific people, but I think it's fair for us 2,000 years later that we can kind of parallel a lot of the things that's going on here. Listen to this, Matthew 10, verse 5. The 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely you give. Verse 9. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take it with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff. For the, workers, the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. And if not, let your peace return to you. Verse 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words... Leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Now, I realize I just, I just read a whole lot, right? And I'm, I'm kind of begging you, challenging you. When you go home today, would you dig into this for yourself? There are a couple of little things that I do want to we'll talk about specifically. But at the end of the day, it's kind of the big picture. Jesus is giving instructions because he knows what's going to happen. But do you understand that that's really no different than us? Maybe not these instructions specifically, but the scripture, the Bible as a whole, are actual instructions that we need to be listening to. There are a few in here that catch my attention, and they're really hard. Verse 4 and 5, don't go to the Gentiles. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? We don't get that at first, but it makes sense. God called Jesus, or excuse me, God first came to the people of Israel, right? So it's only logical that these people, the Jews, are going to be more susceptible to this message, right? Remember, this is a training mission. You're going to start with what you know. And for us as disciples, isn't that where we need to start? We need to start with what we know in, in our homes. Listen, if we're not discipling very well in our homes, that's a problem. Our homes, our workplace, our school place. Start with what you know. In verse 8, I love this one. I, I preached a whole sermon on this one line once. Freely you have received, 
freely give. You know, this doesn't cost us anything. What God did for us, the fact that we're here was free. We owe him everything. So that's only logical. Verse 9 is the one that kind of makes me laugh. Don't take fallbacks. Listen to this. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. It gets crazier than that. You ready? No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff. This one makes me laugh, right? So Friday, I'm going to work on this sermon. I'm going to my parents' house in Chickamauga. I'm going to watch a football game on TV, and I'm going to work on this sermon, right? I'm going to go to the next town to do ministry. I take my computer. I take my iPad just in case. I've got my phone and my wallet and all that. But just to be on the safe side, I take like every cord or cable imaginable just in case, plus four or five books so that I can reference anything I need to reference. I walk in my parents' house 10 minutes away with two backpacks full of stuff, right? And Jesus is like, hey, listen, go to the next country. You don't even need to take an extra shirt. That's crazy. I don't go downstairs without my phone. This kind of makes me laugh, but it's true. If I ask one of my children, or any teenager, if you ask a teenager and you say, listen, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go to the next town. It's about 10 minutes away. You're going to do something about 15 minutes, and then you're going to come back. But don't take your phone. They'd be like, uh, I, I don't know what to do. And it occurs to me as I'm saying this right now, it's not just the teenagers. How many of you adults are going, yeah, stupid teenagers, wait a minute. If I said, hey, I need you to run down to Lafette, but don't take your phone, you'd be like, oh, how do I get to Lafette? Wouldn't you? You would. Because we're such a, you get on 27, go south, it's right there. But you wouldn't know that, would you? I need my phone. What will I do? Jesus says, don't take an extra walking stick. I'll provide. And isn't that the truth for us as well? But we're like, I am my title. I am a church member. And not, okay, I will. I'll, Jesus, I'll go to Lafayette if you need me to. When Reagan was a little kid, I don't know how old she was. She was like four or five years old. And one day we were talking, I don't know why. I was like, Reagan, what do you, what do, you do when you grow up? And she says, I want to be a missionary. I said, well, why, why do you want to be a missionary? And she said, I want to go to strange places. I said, well, if you're a missionary, what kind of strange places do you want to go to? And she's like, I don't know, Alabama? <laughs> She'd take a phone and a computer and a laptop, another laptop and lots of cords and lots of books and a change of clothes and a credit card and probably my credit card and she'd be ready to do ministry, right? But God's called us to something so much bigger than that. And then we look at verse 14 and this is the hard one for me. Listen to this. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, Leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. That's the hard one. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but anybody love getting rejected? Nobody likes getting rejected. It's hard, and it happens here. It happens all the time. As a pastor, you see a person come into your church for a week or a month or a year, or five years or 10 years or 20 years, and then suddenly they're gone and you don't know why. They call them on the phone. Yo, where you been? They're like, that's things and stuff, and you know. And then it's like six months later, where are they? It happens all the time. To be able to stand back and say, hey, listen, man, I just got to do what God needs me to do in this place at that time is hard. And when we look at this, Jesus is making it very clear that what our objective is, it takes some work. 
So these guys are disciples. And when you look at that word disciple, look at this on the screen. The, the, the definition is actually kind of in, interesting. We look at the Greek word disciples, which means pupil. What's fascinating about that is if we ask the average person, what does the word disciple mean? Almost every time the person is going to answer that question with, it's a follower. That's true. A disciple is a follower of Jesus, but that's not a good definition. A better definition is student or pupil. Think about this. When the disciples talk about Jesus, it's very common that they refer to him as teacher, right? You refer to your teacher as teacher, not, I don't know, guy I follow, you know? That makes perfectly good sense for what we should be. We should be students of the word. We should be students of Jesus. So what does that look like? You know, the aspects of discipleship are actually a lot harder as well than a lot of us realize. Now, aspects of discipleship, the first one makes sense. We get this one, uh, is, is the classroom. Whenever we want to think about discipleship, learning to go out and do the work of God, the classroom makes sense, right? Sunday school, first thing that comes to mind, small group, uh, some kind of small Bible study. There's a lot of that, right? Here's the problem. The average church member, the average church, in fact, we see that, so we got Sunday school, discipleship, check. No, 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 no. That's just the beginning. And we could even really harp on this, can't we? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because right now there's not a lot of small group stuff going on. But listen to me carefully. If you're not involved in a small group, if you're not involved in some kind of Bible study or Sunday school class, you're missing the very first aspect of being a disciple. But now it just starts there. Now for me, that's important because in the classroom, I'm bad at it, right? Probably some of you are, are as well, and that's fair, but still important. But the second one is just as important, and this is probably a bad word, but look at this apprenticeship. I just couldn't come up with a, a better word that made sense to me, but think about this. If you're going to be a disciple, someone needs to be discipling you. Does that make sense? Someone needs to be pouring into you. Oh, but wait, there's more. You... I need to be pouring into someone else. Well, what does that look like? Who, who can disciple you? It doesn't matter. It could be an old person. It could be a young person. It could be the neighbor, whatever. Whoever is a godly person and can have influence on your life, listen to what they have to say. For years, for me, I mean, there's, there's lots. Most of them are pastors, older than me pastors. Uh, one of them was my wife's grandmother. One of the most godly people I've ever met in my entire life. There was a period where the end of her, how long did she live with us? A year? Maybe not quite a year? About a, a, Roughly a year. One of the greatest times of my life. You've got this 80-something-year-old wealth of biblical knowledge. And listen, we didn't always agree on everything. Sometimes we argued. Let me tell you, it's rough to argue with somebody like that, but shut up, Grandma. No. Um, <laughs> but no, I learned so much from her. Just sitting in the living room, talking about things of God, and she poured into me. And it's not just the oldest ones. You know what? One of the number one persons in my life right now that disciples me, this is hilarious. I can't wait for him to see this video. There's this 20-year-old kid down in Rome, Georgia. His name's Isaiah. I'm at this huge Christian convention, and we're doing this small breakout thing. There's, I don't know, 50 or 60 people in the room. And there's this guy from Rome, Georgia, and he kind of impressed me. And I'm teaching this session, right? And we're talking back and forth, and afterwards, you know, I call him, I was like, dude, let's, let's talk a little bit. This kid blew me away. 
So then over the last few months, just spending time with him, listening to him, he's like the best youth pastor in the area. He's 20 years old. He loves Jesus, and he's just living his life for the Lord. And it blows me away. And sitting down over lunch with him is so invigorating. So regardless of how old you are and what station of life you are, whether you've been a Christian for 50, 60, 80 years, or you're brand new at this, it doesn't matter. Pour into someone and find someone that's going to pour into you. And then the next step is equally. The next step, look at this, immersion. Another word, I don't know if this is the best word. It's just what I came up with. We need to immerse ourselves in a life of faith. We need to live our life surrounded by like-minded believers who encourage us, who lift us up, who move us into the task that we, that we have before us. Now, that sounds easy, right? It's not. Being immersed in things of faith is actually very difficult. Well, why does this matter? It matters a great deal because the world's gotten crazy. I think I've used this before, but I'm not sure. There's this movie that came out a, a few years ago. It's called Concussion. And uh, when I saw this movie for the first time, it's a good movie. I love Will Smith. I, I, I enjoy his movies. And I'm, I'm watching this movie, and there's this one line in this movie. And when they say this line, the first time I saw this, I'm, now I'm, I'm sitting on my couch, but it like blew me away. I had to immediately stop the movie and sit back and think about this one line. Look at this. This is the line. The NFL owns a day of the week. Once the church used to own, now it's theirs. Wow. That's true. The world's gotten different, hasn't it? And it's going to continue to get different. And as a result, we need to sit amongst our peers and learn the gospel. We need to do so in a way that we can have a person individually pour into us and we pour into other people. And we need to live a life around godly believers because the world's gotten crazy. And I know that some of you are thinking, well, that's not, that's not practical for me. That's not, it's not possible for me. Uh, I'm a new believer and I have no idea what I'm talking about. How can I pour into somebody? Oh, yes, you can. We've all got a story. Good story or bad story? Now I just turned some people off, right? Some of you are like, no, no, no. You don't understand my story. You don't understand what stupid thing I did. You understand what stupid way I was raised. You understand what terrible things gone on in my world. Oh, yes, I do. Sure, I do. And God called you through it. Doesn't matter what it is. No, Billy, you don't understand. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because your story is probably as bad as this person's and this person and mine and everybody else. And there's people that aren't here and they're horrible stories. God doesn't care. He doesn't care about the I am a sinner, I have a past, I am this. He cares about I will disciple. I will pour my life into somebody else. You know why? <laughs> because it's going to get harder. Look at verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as a snake and innocent as a dove. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. And on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them, to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit, your Father, speaking through you. 
Sometimes the world's going to go south. And again, we look at the context of this, and we say, yeah, that's pretty much what happened to the disciples. They were, they were brought before governors. They were brought, uh, they, they needed to be on guard. It, it, it went absolutely crazy for them. But this is us too. Now, I know you're thinking, well, we're never going to get arrested. I doubt, I doubt any of you are going to leave this place today and get arrested because you were here. Could it happen? Could it happen? I don't know. We'll see. But we need to be on guard. My daughter, Reagan, she's 21. She's finishing a ministry degree next year. Her minor is in apologetics. Apologetics is the art and science of defending your faith, our, our faith. It is literally the study of knowing theology in such a way that when somebody challenges it, you can defend it, right? So a, a few months ago, she's like, Dad, I think I'm going to minor in apologetics. I'm like, what? Why in the world would you want to minor in arguing about your faith? Minor in, she wants to be a children's minister. Minor in children's ministry. Minor in, in missions. Minor in ministry. And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm tired of people asking me questions that I don't know the answer to. Because the time's going to come. We've got to, we've got to be on guard. And this is for all of us. You will be, the scripture says. Listen to that. You will be brought before the government. You will have to deal with problems. You will have situations. We will have to deal with all of this. I was riding through Chickamauga the other night on my way home. And uh, outside of town, I was, I was thinking about this, path, or this area of the sermon. I'm kind of laughing. And I go by the sign. Look at the sign. And I see this sign. And it says, please slow down. This means everybody. That's hilarious. And I started thinking about this passage, and do you guys understand what I'm saying? All this stuff I'm saying? This means everybody. I start laughing, I turn around, I pull over to the side of the road, and I take a picture. I want to put this sign on the stage so that during, and we just need, we need a van of watch. And we're Dennis or whoever's preaching along, and somebody's just going, this means everybody. You, 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 all of you. All of us, we need to be on guard. You will be brought when they arrest you. It may not happen literally like that, but crazy's coming. So what, what should this look like as a disciple? What, what does discipleship look like? I came up with about 20 things. Relax. I narrowed it down to just a few. Or did I? <laughs> Disciples understand they need a Savior. This is fascinating. I wish I had underlined the word need. A disciple understands that they need a savior. You know, the truth is in society, a lot of us, we want to go to church. There's a social element in it. I miss y'all. I carry a cup around all the time because I want to shake hands and hug everybody just like the world's normal, right? I want that. The problem is we need the savior and a true disciple understands that need. The second thing, disciples take Bible study seriously. In this long list of things that I've, I've come up with today, you know, this is the one I, I, I fail at the most. This is the one I blow, Bible study. I study the Bible every single day. Sometimes it's as little as 30 minutes. Sometimes it's 12 or 14 hours. Every single day I study the Bible. But you know what? I never study for myself. I'm studying for a something, for an event, for a group, for an idea 
I have ideas all the time. I'm like, hey, this would be a great sermon. I have in my computer files and files and files of ideas where I have an idea for a sermon, an idea for an illustration, and I write it down. Well, then I just start studying. Here's the scripture that goes, hide it, blah, 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 blah. I've learned nothing, but I've got an idea. I wish I had done this. I joked about this in the early service. Uh, I wish I had taken pictures uh, of my phone and put on the screen. I have, I don't know how many I should have looked, seven, eight, nine pages of just illustration ideas. I've only done maybe 10% of them, 15, 20% of them, but I have ideas. I just, I just write them down over and over and over, but I don't actually study for myself. I just prepare for what's next. The third one, disciples serve out of love. Disciples serve out of love. They don't give because there's going to be a name plaque on a wall somewhere. Y'all ever seen that in a church? I went to a church once where there were name plaques on everything. Every turn and turn, there's a little name plaque. So-and-so gave this book. So-and-so gave this pew. So-and-so gave this thing. You know, this is a true story. When I came to Burning Bush for the very, very first time, uh, considering coming here to be on staff, there were a few things I was looking for selfishly. One of them was a drum set. I know, I just said it. Uh, I wanted a church that had drums. And I was also looking for name plaques. I didn't want to see those. I wanted to serve with people that served out of love, not because they were going to get their name on something. Last Sunday was great. People kept coming in with all these boxes. What do I do with this? I didn't actually know. I just took them. We just brought them in here and put them on the stage. They didn't make some grand thing of it where they want to stand on the stage. I brought seven boxes. But don't people do that sometimes? Look at me. I served here. Look at me. I gave this. Look at me. I'm getting credit for that. We should serve simply out of love. The fourth one, disciples share their faith story. This is important. Disciples share their faith story. Their testimony, I think that's probably a word that we use now. I realize I just lost a bunch of you, right? Because how many of you, don't raise your hand, but I would imagine a lot of us in the room are like, well, my testimony is simple. I had two godly parents that loved each other. They had me. I raised in the church. I came to Christ. The end. That's my story. It's actually probably much more interesting than that, and they're all beautiful, Right? In our sermons, when we preach, notice most of our illustrations are about people, places, or things that you know, right? That you can associate with, right? That's what's interesting. That's what makes you want to learn. Everybody in this room has a faith story. And it might, it might be, I was baptized this morning. We've got two people like that. That's a beautiful story. The truth is, there's probably a lot more behind it than that. And then some of us in this room are like, uh-uh, my story's ugly. My story's horrible. I'm embarrassed to tell my story. Or this story's, no, 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 no. Whatever it is, we can come together through that. We can lift each other up through that. Everybody's story is powerful. Fifth one, disciples worship in all circumstances. Even if we got to sit in OCD crazy, listen, this row up here, looking around the room, if we can worship in this, if we can worship online, hey, you guys at home, man, I'm so glad you're watching this. It matters. We worship in all circumstances. The sixth one, disciples defend their faith, not just by studying apologetics, but you know what? We as believers, there's a time when you just got to say, this is right, and this is wrong, and that's the way it is. It's okay to draw some lines in the sand sometimes. 
Jesus drew a whole lot of lines in a whole lot of sand, and that's okay. Uh, sixth one, I lost my count. Uh, seventh one, excuse me, last one. Disciples are immersed in a community of believers. I kind of talked about that a little bit um, earlier. Disciples are immersed in a community of believers. Who you hang out with, who you share your life with, absolutely matters. The more you're surrounded by like-minded believers, the stronger you are, the more you can stand on your feet, and the more you're ready for whatever crazy situation is right around the corner. You see, the problem is we think that whatever's crazy that's coming, regardless of what it is, we can handle it, right? We're in our mind, we play out the situation, we're always the hero. We love action movies because when we watch the action movie, we don't mean to do this, but subconsciously, we put ourselves in the situation and we're the hero that, that, that defoils the villain and saves the damsel in distress or whatever it is. But when reality hits, it's a different story. I want to show you this picture. This is my friend Keith Bonnell. And uh, I don't know if you can see this. I don't know what the lights look like in here, but, but Keith and I were going hunting one day. So he's coming to pick me up in my house, and I go out on the front porch, and I can see smoke from along, and it's like, oh my gosh, something's on fire. And I'm incredibly immature. So my first thoughts aren't, let's help. My first thoughts are, hey, let's go watch something burn down. This will be great, right? We go, and sure enough, it's actually a house. It's, oh my goodness. So it's a mobile home. So we pull up in front of this mobile home, and my mind starts racing, because even though I'm, I don't know, 45, 46 at the time, in my mind, I'm like 21 and I'm the hero. And on TV, when the mobile home's on fire, what does the good guy do? The good guy runs up to the mobile home, bursts in the home, scoops up the baby out of the, the carriage, runs out, and yay, we saved the day. In reality, when you're running towards the burning house, it's hot. And you get scared. And then you start thinking, well, oh, also on television, there's always a propane tank. And when they blow up, it is quite the explosion. I don't want to blow up. But still, you run up to the door, bang, 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 bang. Terrified. Now it's hot, like, like hot, hot. Like I'm about to melt. This is a problem. Banging on the door. I'm wimping out like crazy. Well, nobody's coming. And I am banging. I'm yelling. I'm yelling as hard as I can yell. Well, immediately beside the mobile home is this little house, and it's like close. I mean, it's, it's closer than these walls. I mean, it's like really close. Well, all this fire is starting to fall on the other house, and I think I can see something moving around inside. Jump down, move over to a much safer place, and I start banging on that door, and I'm screaming, hey, this house is on fire. You need to come out. And sure enough, here comes this little old lady. She comes out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, we got to get you out of here. I turn around, not Keith Bunnell. He's still on the mobile home, bashing on that front door. I don't know how his eyebrows aren't singed. I don't know how his hair is not on fire. I don't know how he can physically stand on that front porch and bang on that door. I don't know what in his life prepared him for that situation, but he was ready. So we, there was nobody. The old lady tells us there's nobody in there. He had just left. She knew he just left. He had just left. We get the lady to safety. I'm a youth pastor, so I take pictures. It's what we do. Regardless of how I thought in my mind, I wasn't ready 
for the situation. All of us in this room, everybody in this room has been called to be a disciple of Christ. Are you ready? Are you ready? I looked at history and I found this neat story. During the reign of Oliver Cromwell, there was a shortage of currency in the British Empire. His army desperately needed money to fight a civil war in England. And after a time of searching, soldiers returned and reported, we have searched high and low, and the only silver we can find is in the church where the statues of the saints are made with choice silver. To this, Oliver calmly replied, let's melt down the saints and put them into service. The only way we're going to accomplish God's task for us that he has called us to do We've got to change that. I am a church member. I am a deacon. I am a small group leader. I am a worship leader. I am a parking lot crew. And change that to, I will serve. I will advance the gospel. Pray with me. Father God in heaven, I love you. I praise you for day to today and all the things I've seen and heard that are beautiful and of you. Lord, I praise you for the baptism we had this morning. It was beautiful. And I know there are more to come. And that's so exciting. So Lord, for the next few minutes, I I pray that we'll have a time of conviction, a time of connection for whatever it is that you're calling us to next. In Christ Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.